Nobody said anything, but did the person with the Kia want to leave early? I, I mean, you, you've got, Melissa was saying, you know they have to stay through the whole service to be able to come up here and get this key. So if you want to come early, I'll just put it right here. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> Hope everyone had a great holiday and you have another one to go, New Year, and we're prayerful that 2019 is good for all of us, as we always are. I do want to say one thing, uh, and we're going to have a quick prayer here real quick. I want, to, I want Willie and, and Mark to raise your hands. These two guys, raise your hands. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. College guy, they've been such a great part of the college group, and now they're moving to Springfield tomorrow, start a new venture in their life, and it's been a blessing that they came our way. I think God blessed us, and I hope they bless them. God bless them for being here. So we're going to have a quick prayer for them. If you would, let's bow together. Father, we come before you, and we're so mindful that every move that we make, that you are present with us, and you are there, and you guide us, and you protect us, and, and you show your will to us. And I, I pray for Willie and Mark both as they make the move to Springfield, that as they've been with us, I pray that we've been a blessing to them, and that you've strengthened their faith in our presence, and they certainly have been a blessing to us and, and the college group here. And as they make a new change, we, we ask you to bless their ventures, bless everything that they seek to do, that as they do it, they're also faithful to you, and, and, they, and they try a new adventure in life. Watch over them and be fully present, and help them, Lord, to know your presence and to always be faithful and do the things that you've commanded. And, and as they do, I pray, Father, you fight for them and you fight with them and that you are present. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to uh, welcome the new family but I, um, that was introduced earlier, but uh, I want you to know how much background checking we do. I, I went through their Facebook, and there is a picture of all four family members in Cubs gear. Uh, so I called, I think, on Thursday and said, uh, there is a probationary period for you um, for nine months. Uh, but I did give them hope, the Altums, uh, Ryan Altum was on that probation, and we have almost reached a toleration period with him. So we are tolerating Ryan Altum, and you all will be tolerated uh, for a time, uh, and we'll, we'll be grateful. But there's different levels of spiritual maturity in the church, right? Amen? And so, therefore, until someone grows up in the Lord more fully, we are patient, uh, but grateful that they are present with us, a wonderful family, and are going to be a blessing to us. If you would join me in Matthew chapter 11, remember for next Sunday that as we come in before the service actually starts, you'll be handed a page and you'll fill out some information about what you want to do in the ministries you want to participate in at Valley View, and I really want to challenge you in something. Uh, if you've always done certain things, keep doing them. But if you look at that list and you think about it and you're like, this is something I've never thought about doing, but I always wanted to try, please consider expanding, make the new year something different where you expand and do some different things maybe you've done before. Maybe you've never taught a Bible class and y'all, you know, by a, by a certain period of time, a Christian, nearly any Christian should be able to teach a Bible class of young people. And I, I just want you to consider, give that a thought, expand your mind before that page is ever given to you next Sunday. So uh, it won't take a whole long time, but we're just going to invite you to let us know you're ready to do some other things or maybe you want to add something you look at Valley View and you think, hey, I've got this ability or this gift that I want to use and, and start a whole new venture, please be ready to write that down too. So next Sunday is your opportunity for that. Anytime is your opportunity for that, but especially next Sunday. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus loves me, this I know. 
you turn me down for that, don't you? I just, I just recognize that. Was that? That was by church request, wasn't it? Anyway, I, I try to uh, search my memory bank for what this passage makes me feel like. John the Baptist, this rugged, determined, absolutely convicted preacher of God's way, who won't budge, and he tells you exactly how it is. Not only does he tell you how it is, but he's always lived this way. He's a wilderness guy. He's home into, in, in wilderness areas. Uh, he's a free-range kind of preacher, and he, he knows exactly what God says. He knows the Scripture, and he lives it, and he preaches it unapologetically to anybody. But suddenly, there's this glimpse of a cracking of the foundation. I don't know if you've ever had those people in your life where you thought those people have the Christian faith down and they inspire you because their faith is so real and so deep and so meaningful and then they do something that shows that they're cracking a little bit and suddenly you start cracking a little bit. If you've had those people you grew up with and and they got married at the same time you got married and your marriages were built together and suddenly one of them divorces, you're like, whoa, what happened here? It's not that your marriage is built like theirs, but it suddenly makes you realize that we're all a little bit vulnerable in this world. And I'm thinking of the original, the real Superman, Christopher Reeve. Uh, And I remember the first time I ever watched when General Zod took over the world. Anybody remember General Zod? Anybody remember this? Some of you young people are like, no, I only know the new ones. Well, go and see the real ones, okay, sometime. And, And he... And General Zod thinks that he's put him in this chamber and reduced his power to nothing. And here comes Superman as he comes out, and everybody's thinking, everybody in the theater was thinking, yeah, I watched it in the theater. Everybody in the theater is thinking, he's just a man. And he bows in front of General Zod, and you're like, oh no, our only hope, our only hope was Superman. What are we going to do? Now he is, he is bowing down and joining the bad guy. But what nobody realized... I, I now know, you know, everybody knew is that actually he's the only one who kept his power. He destroys General Zod and everybody else. But you don't know that. You're thinking, oh no, now, now the one guy who would never budge is bowing. And that's what it feels like when I read this passage in Matthew 11. John the Baptist is in prison. But you know he is this wild and convicted man who will never budge in his faith. But, but there's two words before we get to the story that you have to know from this passage. The most important verse is the one that absolutely applies to us, verse 6. And I want you to understand what two words in this passage mean. Number one, the word blessed. The word blessed does not, I know some versions will put happy And that could be okay if you have an understanding of happy, but not in the way the world defines happy. Like everything's hunky-dory and happy, and I'm smiling like a hanger in my mouth. It's I'm just happy. No, blessed, blessed really means deeply satisfying, truly content. I am absolutely established in a certain blessed state that no matter what happens, I'm okay. And I liken this to like even when an EF5 comes through these areas and wipes these houses clean, even then the foundation is still there and it doesn't affect the foundation at all. You could build the house again on that very same foundation because the winds just do not disrupt the foundation. That's what a blessed person is. A person whose foundation is absolutely untouched by any circumstance because they're deeply built on the con- and content 
with the truth of God. That's blessed. Then there's the word offended. My version says it this way. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Offended. This is not Facebook offended. You know what Facebook offended is? You just said something that I disagree with and I just go berserk, right? This offended means I have to stop and I can no longer follow this path anymore. It is so foundationally in disagreement with me, I cannot stomach it anymore. I quit, I turn back, and I do something else. You have to stop. You have to quit. And Jesus says, deeply satisfied is the person who can follow me without me making them stop. Nothing about me makes them quit the faith. Because I believe what he's saying here is John the Baptist is very close to quitting his faith in Jesus. And that's a dangerous spot to be in. And you think, what could cause John to do this? That's an amazing question. John knew who he was. John is six months older than Jesus. He's a cousin, but he's the forerunner. He's the warm-up band before the main show gets on the scene, right? He's the guy who prepares the world to hear what Jesus has to say, and he knew what his job was. But we run across him here. Something has suddenly shaken his foundation, and here's the answer to it. It's unmet expectations. Jesus is not being who he expected him to be, and it's rocking his world. He's the forerunner for him, the warm-up act. He preached in the wilderness, and, and everybody came out to see him. And here's one of the things he said in, in, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He says, I baptize you. Remember, you remember, he didn't even want to baptize Jesus. Jesus, the sinless one. I should be baptized by you, but he, Jesus talks him into it. And he says, I baptize you with water and repentance, but the one who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat in the barn, but the chaff will he burn with unquenchable fire. Here is John the Baptist saying, the guy after me, he's really going to let you have it. You think I've let you have it, telling you just how it is in the wilderness. Jesus is going to come along with fire. He's going to do a winnowing fork, throw you up in the air, and if you're not faithful, he's going to burn you up. That's what John's expecting. And he's right, except for the fact that second part, that judgment part won't happen until the end. His first coming wasn't for that. His second coming is for that. John puts it all together and he says, hey guys, you just wait. The guy who's coming after me, you think that I have got some straight talk. You just wait till Jesus comes. He baptizes Jesus. He hears the message, this is my son whom I love, and he knows this is the Messiah. He looks at him and said, blessed are you, you know, you are the one. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knows who he is. But the next thing you know in the story, John has to go up against Herod. John, who tells it how it is. He doesn't have a lot of tact. He just tells it straight. He's living out in the wilderness anyway. And here's Herod who's living with, who's stolen his brother's wife, who also happens to be his very own niece. So this is an incestuous marriage. And John knows this from the Old Testament, and he's not backing down. He's going to the headlines, and he's going to anybody who will hear. His pulpit is, Herod can't have that woman. It's not a righteous thing, and you need to give her up. Well, kings don't like famous preachers talking about them. 
They take away their tax-exempt status. We can't get political here. And so Herod takes away the pulpit by putting John in prison, and there's nothing worse for a free-range preacher than being cooped up. Get it? Free-range preacher being cooped up? It's lost on you. He's cooped up in these four walls in a dungy prison where he doesn't have TV and he can't work out every day in the sunlight, and he's going nuts. But he still has reports. He's still got disciples who come to him. I want you to look back at verse 9. I may have it on the screen. I can't remember if I put it on there. Did I put chapter 9 on the screen? If not, just look back at chapter 9. Jesus is eating with Matthew and all of Matthew's sinful friends. And he's just feasting away and everybody's criticizing him for it. And then verse 14 of Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John, here's the people who are going to get the message back to John who's in prison came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? Why are we fasting and you're feasting? You're supposed to be the main Messiah guy, and yet our guy who's preparing your way is fasting, and all you're doing is eating. And then we see in chapter 11, verse 2, he's heard all that Jesus has done in deeds and words. He gets all this information, and he hits the reports about Jesus that he can't see for himself. This should be wonderful news. He hears Jesus healing people and casting out demons and wonderful things and eating with sinful people and letting them have a chance to hear the gospel. But he's not happy. He's mad. He's frustrated and he starts to wonder, are you even the one I thought you were? You're not the Jesus that I was thinking was coming. What's wrong with you? When Jesus doesn't act like you think Jesus should, doubt stirs up. And when doubt stays around long enough, you've got to quit the faith. And it becomes an offense. And the thing that's offending him is Jesus himself. How dare you act like this when you're not telling people how it is? And we got John the Baptist everywhere in churches. We got churches saying, I'm looking around, that guy missed last Sunday. The elder goes, elders go talk to him about not forsaking the assembly. That guy over there, what marriage is he on? we got people who sit on pews looking around thinking this all the time. Somebody needs to go tell the truth. We're not hard enough on truth. We're not telling people as it is. John the Baptist still shows up. There's an element of truth to this. Jesus is going to do this, but he's going to do this in his time. He's going to do it in his way. And God's way is the best way. And John the Baptist really... It's trying to push Jesus to say you're not doing what you should be doing. And you've got to admit, John is telling the truth to the powers that be, and he's thrown in prison, and he's fasting. And Jesus has a, a record-high public opinion poll, and he's feasting. Fasting or feasting, which would you rather be doing? What in the world's happened? Everything I thought that Jesus was going to come and do, he's not doing He's over there eating with these sinful people. He's not telling them like it is. He's not offending them left and right. And he's not coming out and just blasting them away like we should blast them with a gospel cannon. Get that bazooka out and blow people up, church. Let's reduce this church as fast as we can. Get all the riffraff out. Jesus wasn't doing that. And sometimes when the church isn't doing that, we got people who feel the same way. What do you do? He says to his disciples, you go and you ask him, are you who I thought you were or not? 
John the Baptist is angry because Jesus is not being who he thinks Jesus should be. And Jesus is not offended. Jesus doesn't look at those disciples and say, what is wrong with that old boy? He knows full well who I am. He baptized me. We're cousins. We're cousins. He baptized me. We talked about this. He heard the words from heaven. And here's the beauty of what he does. He's patiently giving an address to John. He says, I want you to do this. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. You just go back and tell him, I'm not going to answer this for him. I'm not going to make it easy for him. I want you to give him the evidence, and I want you to know something. If you come up to the church on the hill, we're not expecting you. We're not expecting you to believe in Jesus because we believe in Jesus. I'm not expecting you to follow Jesus because I follow Jesus. I'm not expecting you to believe in him because I believe him. Don't build your faith on me. Don't build your faith on me. That's not good enough. You build your own faith on the evidence of Jesus. You take the evidence just as everybody else has, and you judge for yourself. Don't build your faith on somebody. You build your faith on somebody. When they fail, you're destroyed. Don't build your life on a foundation any less than what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And we want to bring you to church. We want to tell you, this is what we want to do. We want to point you to the truth. I'm not going to try to convince you you need to be in the church on the hill to be saved because this church can't save you. We're not going to get you to heaven. Jesus is. I don't want to spend time talking about the church. I want to spend time talking about Jesus. Let's talk about what he said and what he did. And let's get people to look at that and the evidence. And he says, he says to these disciples, go back and tell John what you've seen and what you heard. But there's a subtle, there's a subtle source of authority sign here. Because the way that Jesus puts it, makes them go back to Scripture too. He's quoting Scripture as he lists what Jesus is doing and saying. And here it's on the screen. And I underlined some parts for you, the parts that John would find problematic. This is from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Say to those who have an anxious heart, John the Baptist had an anxious heart. And Jesus was saying, I'm not going to answer this for you. He knows Isaiah 35 about the anxious heart. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take Scripture, and I want you to read it, and then I want you to put my words and my deeds right next to Isaiah and tell me, am I the one he's talking about? Jesus doesn't give them an answer and a shortcut and an easy answer. Don't give people an easy answer. Bring Scripture like this. Bring Jesus like this. And if they match, He's the Messiah. He's the one you need to put your trust and faith in. If it works, don't, don't, try to, don't give people answers. Give them Scripture and let them answer for themselves. And so He says, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. This verse, John the Baptist knows, and he's wondering where it's at. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and then shall the language man, layman, language man, lame man, leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. He's saying, look at chapter 8 and 9 of Matthew. He didn't say Matthew, but look at what I've just done in the previous days. Look at Isaiah. I'm the one. Now, John would also say, but where's this judgment he talks about? It's coming, y'all. It's coming, but it's after the mercy. 
It's after the grace. Jesus came to major in grace and mercy and prepare you for judgment so that the next time he comes, you won't have to mess with judgment. You won't have to worry about it because you've already thrown yourself on his mercy. Now, here's the next one, Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord, this is also what he preached in the, the synagogue as well, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and to be opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what might John have a problem with with this passage? If you came to get the prisoner out of jail, what am I still doing here? Might that be a problem for John? I'm being your faithful servant. I'm being your forerunner. I'm rotting away, and you haven't gotten me out of here. And that's what Isaiah says you're going to do. You're not totally who I think you should be. John's expectations are not being met. Now, that's all interesting for John. I don't want to stay in the first century world very long. For those of you who've never decided to follow Jesus for real, oh, you've been exploring it. You've been kind of flirting with it for a while. I want to ask you a question. What about Jesus offends you so that you can't go completely all the way and name him Lord? What expectations of you, for you, of Jesus, does he not meet so that you stop short of giving your life to him? What about him causes you just to stop and say, no, I can't go beyond this point? If you're here this morning, it's because you have some level of interest. You're somewhere along the road of belief, unless you're just here visiting with a family member, and that's fine, we're glad you're here. But most of you have some level of interest and belief in Jesus, maybe not enough to give your life to him, maybe not enough to stand in front of a group of people and say, you know what, the way I've been living is sinful. I want to repent of my sin. I want to be immersed in the waters of baptism to have my sins washed away. Maybe you're not there, but if you're not, it's because something about Jesus doesn't quite fit you well. Something's causing you to stop, be offended by him. What is it? For those of you who've decided and you've embarked on a life for him, is there something that's happened along the way that suddenly caused you to stop and not proceed further? Has Jesus offended you somehow? What did he say? What did he not say? What did he do? What did he not do? It causes you to say, I can't go any farther. I can't go any more than this. What he's done is too much or not enough. There's something about him that I quit. I'm not growing anymore. I'm staying right here or I'm turning back. I'm offended by Jesus. You wouldn't say it like that. But you're living it like that. We all have these doubts and these spiritual hiccups and stutters. We just can't let it stop us. You've gathered around you, and you may not realize it all the time, you gather around you some heroic spiritual people who are believing despite a lot of things that would cause some people to quit. You've got some people in this assembly still singing these songs of worship just a few months after looking into a grave of a two-year-old girl. You can bet that raised some doubts, that raised some questions. How can a Savior not save me from this? Sure, you can do that, but they're still here, and they're believing through the doubt, and they're struggling through this, as well as a family who suddenly, just drastically on a Thursday morning, boom, their loved one dropped dead without any kind of warning, totally threw them into oblivion, right? Totally threw them, and yet they're still here, still here. Heroes of faith who say, he is not what I expected him to be, but I'm going to let him be who he is. That's the kind of faith 
that will not let Jesus and what I've thrown on Him offend me. We have too many people who are throwing on Jesus things He never said and they're offended by what He does or doesn't do. What can cause you to stumble or fall? Death of a loved one suddenly? Expectations are unmet. The fact that your marriage, when you try to build it on the foundation of faith and you and your spouse are both believers, but something throws you for a loop and suddenly she says to you, I don't know that I love you anymore and your world comes crashing through and you think, well, God, you promised if I'll be faithful, you'll give me a great marriage. Unmet expectations. He's not doing what you think he should. Our kids don't seem to, to go for Jesus like we do. And our, my, my kids don't embrace the faith. They don't care about the faith like I did. And suddenly, you start matching their faith rather than trying to get theirs to match yours. And because of unmet expectations, surely my family will embrace this. Or he doesn't bring me the spouse in my timing that I want, and I feel lonely, and I would expect that if I'm faithful, he would have done it by now. Or maybe you're trying to have children, or you have before, and God constantly says no to you, and you're like, I don't serve a God who tells me no when I've been faithful. Says who? We've got heroes here struggling to find jobs, faithful people who are doing amazing things while they wait, but they're wondering, when's this going to come through? And they're my heroes. Unmet expectations that we put on him. I want to tell you that Jesus offends me all the time. He challenges me. He tells me I'm wrong a lot. He tells me that I've got to add things, and he convicts me about the things that I've not addressed yet, and he pushes me in directions I don't feel comfortable going. Don't confuse that with being offended. That's not being offended. Jesus is Lord, which means he can't offend his servants. He can ask whatever he wants of his servants, and they go along. I can't be offended at my Lord. He's the one who's right. He defines right. He defines right and true, and because of that, I can't be offended by him. I must just simply say, yes, I'm going to work on incorporating that and doing that. But sometimes our doubts, like John the Baptist, are given a little too much power. Doubt is not a problem at all, but when doubt is given the power to make you stop or quit, it becomes offense. And you're making Jesus into something that he wasn't. Let Jesus be Jesus. It's hard to do this. We all have expectations of a Savior, what we would do if we were Him. And when He doesn't do what we would have done if we were Him, we simply say, He must not be who I thought He was. In reality, we've got we to admit that we're not who we think we are. We are not the Lord. He is. And this last warning to us that says, Blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. Blessed is the one who lets me be me and will follow me and knows that the deepest satisfying thing is to simply obey and not fight with Jesus and not say Jesus has crossed the line here. I'll believe as long as he doesn't ask this. I would do anything for him, but I won't do that, Meatloaf would say. So it's a warning. Is there anything Jesus can ask or demand of you that you absolutely will not give because that's your area of offense? Jesus will be Jesus. He won't ask for, his, for your permission to be Lord. This is kind of a version of Job, really, to me. Blessed is the one who nothing can cause him to fall away. 
Nothing I do or don't do will cause him to fall away. He doesn't get frustrated and disappointed or mad because Jesus is not who he'd like him to be. Because Jesus simply is Lord, he's not going to accommodate you. He will not give in to your demands. If you're a kid who was raised, being given everything you ever wanted, and was rescued every time something got a little stressful, I've got bad news for you. The Savior, Jesus, is not going to save you from every little thing in your life. And if you make lordship demand that, he's going to offend you. He's going to offend you. He's not going to change his will to yours, even if you throw a temper tantrum. This is one reason I think the Christian message has fallen on hard times. It's why parenting is so very important. We want Jesus to be kind of a genie for us. And when he doesn't complete the demand we think that we put on his lips, then we get mad. When he reveals the consequences for sin... And then we sin, and he won't soften the blow on us, or he won't remove those circumstances. We get offended, and we fall away on account of him. He's going to be who he's going to be, and our job is to simply obey. And blessed is the person. Blessed is the person. Deeply satisfied is the person who can accept Jesus as he is and the demands that he makes and not find in Jesus some reason to quit or to stop. So as the new year comes, I want to encourage you. Let Jesus be Lord. And dare to trust Him enough that if you actually obey Him in every one of those pesky little areas, that it will cause you to be a blessed person. You'll more deeply satisfied and you'll really function for Him. If you're not a servant of Jesus, what's keeping you back? What about Jesus is causing you to quit? And if you are a servant of Christ, what about him has caused you to cool your faithfulness? What expectations did he not meet that causes you to pause? Blessed is the one who says Jesus is Lord, who lives Jesus is Lord, and is not offended and does not quit because of him. If you need to respond this morning and you're willing to accept the Lordship of Christ, it's available to you as we stand and as we sing.